Welcome to the Living Debt-Free Podcast. Your host, Georgette Miller, is a partner with the law firm of Margolis Edelstein. She provides helpful advice on how to free yourself from the debts that can be the cause of so many problems and difficulties. And now, Georgette Miller. Good morning, and welcome to another installment of our podcast, Living Debt-Free. Now, as I've indicated in prior podcasts, I've been practicing for about 20 years, and many of those year, 20 years has been filing bankruptcies on behalf of debtors in bankruptcy court. And whether it is an individual or a business owner, one of the top five questions I, re- I get during the consultation or during the process is, Ms. Miller, how is this filing going to affect my credit score? (laughs) Oh my goodness. I can't say this loudly and clearly enough. There's this song, I'm not my house, I'm not my car. Well, I'm not my house, I'm not my car, and I'm definitely not my credit score. Because we have been conditioned for so long to believe with every fiber of our being that we cannot live if our credit score is in the eight, is not in the 7 or 800s we will not be able to exist as a human being or be a functioning member of society or or your credit score is your grade as a member of this community i don't know how to dissuade you of that but it's not true. Also, you've been conditioned, or many of us have been conditioned to believe that if you file a bankruptcy or you're associated in any way with a bankruptcy, your credit score will be tarnished for eight years. I've been told it will be tarnished for 10 years. You will not be able to do anything for 10 years. It's all conditioning, really. Because It has been my experience that I file bankruptcies, especially for my individual clients or individual debtors. I'll file bankruptcies for them, and I am at the consultation table with them, pleading with them, saying, hey, getting you out of the debt is the easy part. Staying out of debt is where the work is going to come in. And you have to do everything you possibly can to be vigilant so that you're not here in another two years. Because if you're in my office in another two years, there's nothing I can do for you. You can't, I cannot offer you any kind of solution relating to this debt or any other kind of debt, again, for at least four to six years. I mean, after four years, there's things we can do in a 13. After six years, there's also things we can do in a a, a 13. But you are not entitled for another Chapter 7 discharge for eight years. And why is it that you can find yourself back in the very same situation you were in within two years after filing? Because this is how this game works. So... Prior to filing the bankruptcy, you had income and you had debt. 
So your DTI or what they call your debt to income ratio was possibly very high because you had all this debt, but all you had was your income. And based on the income you had and the debt load you were carrying, you looked like a lot of risk because the debt to income ratio was high. What happens after you file bankruptcy? Especially at Chapter 7 if you're an individual. What happens is everything other than your student loans will be zeroed out. And what do I mean? I encourage every client that I file a Chapter 7 bankruptcy for as an individual to do this. As soon as your case is over and you get your discharge order from the judge, mail a copy of your discharge order to all three credit bureaus with a simple letter and mail it certified mail if you can. With a simple cover letter, hello, attach please find a copy of my discharge order. Please update my credit profile. That's it. That's all you have to say. Attached, please find a copy of my Chapter 7 discharge order. Please update my credit profile, period. Sign, mail it out. And what will happen or what must happen is the credit bureau, based on that discharge order, will zero out all of your debts, especially if you're in the Third Circuit. Because in the Third Circuit, whether you're notified or not, whether a creditor is notified or not, debt is gone. And so what will happen is the credit bureau will now zero out all of your outstanding debts. Everything that's on your credit profile other than student loans will be zeroed. And if your attorney did the extra step and filed a motion to avoid liens, you can also send the order from the judge removing those judgment liens. And so in that situation, you're going to send both orders to the credit bureaus. You're going to send the discharge order and you're going to send the order from the judge with the motion avoiding judgment liens. You send both of those over to the credit bureaus. They have to clear the judgment liens off. They have to zero out all the debts. So now before you filed the bankruptcy, you had your income, but you had your credit profile with all these judgments and all these debts outstanding. So what happens after you file the bankruptcy? After you file the bankruptcy, you still have your income, but the judgment liens and the outstanding debts are gone. So now what does your credit profile look like? It's not unusual for individual clients to find that their credit score actually goes up. Their FICO score actually goes up after filing a bankruptcy. Because step back for a moment and and think about it. What your credit profile looks like now is you still have your income or potential for income, but now you have no debt. So now your debt to income ratio looks great. It is not unusual for my clients to actually be in a position to qualify for an FHA mortgage two years after filing bankruptcy. And many actually who don't want to wait 
will qualify for conventional mortgages as soon as their bankruptcy Chapter 7 case is closed. So you have to kind of tune out all the stuff that you hear and think about it rationally. A lender is not going to lend money to you once they see that you have you owe you know tons of other people before them tons of other creditors ahead of them but when they see that you have no other creditor they're more let's say open to lending you money because they know that you've gotten rid of everybody else in a chapter 7 and you can now pay them that's how they think about it you know bankruptcy has been uh, how can I say this? It has been tagged as some kind of moral stain. It's not. It really isn't. And the nonsense that your FICO score is in the basement for eight to 10 years is just hogwash, bullpucky. It's just not true. And it just doesn't make any sense because you have gotten rid of the debt and you still have your income that means you have more disposable income. And it's been my experience that when clients file a Chapter 7, specifically, within days of filing the petition, they get credit cards and office to come and purchase cars on financing within days of filing the bankruptcy. And I will meet with them today and say in 60 days, 90 days, we're at the 341 hearing, and they're indicating that, Ms. Miller, I'm getting applications, credit card applications already. And I said, yes, that's how it is. And banks aren't stupid. They know that you've gotten rid of all the debt, so now you have disposable income. So if you get into debt with them, you will have the income to pay them. And which is why I stress over and over, you should not get yourself back into the same situation I just got you out of because you can be here in two years. Now, I have no aversion to credit cards. You know, they're useful. They make your lives easier, whatever. They have good points. But I tell my clients, especially after they file bankruptcy, if you want to get a credit card, get an American Express, a green American Express, the original one, where anything you charge, you have to pay it off in 30 days or your privileges will get cut, right? And if you can't qualify for an American Express right away, go get yourself a secured credit card and put whatever amount you want on it. That way you're always spending your own money. And when the bill comes in, pay it off in full. Now, we're going to go into, in more detail, you know, life after bankruptcy, what you need to do. But I want to start talking about that now, and now is an opportune time, in that I'm not mad at credit card companies. I'm not mad at car lenders. It's just that it doesn't make any sense to pay them interest on depreciating assets. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to go to uh, 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 Macy's 
just to pull a, a store out of the, the air and buy a dress for $50 and then pay for the dress at 29% or the item of clothing at 29% when you bought the dress for 50, if you were to turn around and sell it, you would probably get five, six, seven, ten, maybe $20 at most. So that doesn't make sense. I remember for years I had a Macy's card and I would buy stuff on my Macy's card because, you know, the points were great and, and they had really good specials that you only get when you buy it on the Macy's card. And what I would do is I would make my purchase on the Macy's card. But before I left the counter, meaning I handed over my purchases, I purchased them on the Macy's card. But before I leave, I would take out the cash and pay off the Macy's card right there and then because I didn't even want the bill to come to my house because the interest rate was ju just, in my mind, insanity. It's the same thing with a car. Purchasing a car, a depreciating asset at interest, I don't care what the interest is. I don't even care if it's 0% interest. It still doesn't make sense because if you buy a car now, if you drive it off the lot, and you bring it back at the end of the day, the car is worth less than what you owed. So the car has depreciated 10, 20, 15% the moment you drive it off the lot. And you're gonna pay interest on top of that? That makes no sense. The thing you wanna do is figure out how much money you wanna pay for a car. If all you have is $5,000, then all you're buying is a $5,000 hoopty. If all you have is 2,500, that's all you're buying. You use it, drive it till it dies, and when it dies, it, you get another one. I have a sibling who is an executive with a bank, and she is interesting. She, is, she takes it to the nth degree. She will, when she lived in New Jersey, she's out west now, she had a relationship with a repo guy, and she would buy cars for like eight, $900 a pop. And when they died, she would just go to her repo guy and buy another one. She refused to have a car note. And she works in a bank where she could get loans. Refuses. Absolutely refuses to finance a car. And I understand the rationale. <laughs> it makes sense. It's an absolute waste of money. You wait for it, you save for it, and you pay for it in cash. So after bankruptcy... That's just a side note. After filing a bankruptcy, I need you all to understand that that is not the end of your FICO score. It doesn't stay in the basement for five years, 10 years, whatever years you've been told. Your FICO score actually rebounds. And we find that the majority of our clients end up with a higher credit score after filing bankruptcy than what they had prior. And the reasoning and the rationale is real simple. The debt is gone. The income remains, but the debt is now gone. Now, what I want to talk about just a little bit now and in more detail on the next podcast, what I want to talk about is, okay, remember in the beginning when we started this journey, we talked about your financial life is a four-legged stool. If you're in debt, get out. And once you're out, 
you have to stay out by any means necessary. And how you do that is cash. It still works. You wait for it, you save for it, and you pay for it in cash. Third, you have to ensure, you have to be prepared when life happens. And life always happens. And lastly, you have to insure against loss. So, we've talked for a while about all the means and strategies, or a few of the means and strategies that I propose for you guys to get out of debt. So now you're my client, you're at the 341 hearing, you know, and you're being told, go with God, you know, don't get yourself back into t- to this situation again. What do you do? It's a mindset. It really is a mindset. And we've become so accustomed to using credit cards and Visa debit cards and just cards because it's, it's easier. It's just way more convenient. But in doing that, we've lost the concept of money. We've lost concept of the fact relating to how much is it that I can truly afford? Think about that. When you're about to purchase something, what do you think? Can I afford it? Do I have the cash in the bank to pay for it? Or do you think, will I be eligible to borrow to get it? That's two different ways of thinking. (laughs) And I grew up in the islands. So I grew up in Jamaica where if you wanted a car, there was no financing. You had to have the certified check to give to this person selling the car so you could get it. If you wanted a house, first thing you do is you bought the land and you start the blocks, buying blocks and cement and steel, and you start building. And when you run out of money, you stop until you have some more money, you continue building. And hopefully you have enough so that You can at least have the walls and the roof and the windows in and you move in. And then you continue to work on it until it's finished. But when it's finished, it's yours. There was no mortgage. There was none of that when I was growing up. I'm sure there is now. But back then, there wasn't. And so if you couldn't afford something, then you just didn't buy it. And so I say to my clients, think of me, and many times they call into the radio show or they'll see me on the road and they'll say, Miss Miller, wait for it, save for it, and buy it. If you can't wait for it, if you can't save for it and purchase it, then it's not for you. And so once you're out of debt, you really want to with every fiber of your being, stay out. Stay out. And how do you do that? You really have to make savings almost second nature. Elizabeth Warren, in one of her books, had a really interesting concept. And she made it real simple. And it's something I share with my clients all the time, too. It was, think of your budget this way. of your income coming into the house 
should go towards your necessaries. That's the things you must have. You must have water. You must have electricity. You must have a roof over your head. You must have food on the table. You need to put gas in the car. These are your must-haves. 30% of your income should go towards your wants. You like to have cable, but it's not necessary, especially when you have Fire Stick <laughs> or Hulu or all these apps now where you can watch TV for free. So having cable is a want. It's not a necessity. Having the latest iPhone every time it comes up, it's a want. It's not a necessity. But 30% of your income should go towards your wants. 20% of your income you should save religiously. And so when you sit down to make a budget, which is another word we don't use often, often enough, you should be looking at the income coming into your home. And you look at it and you say, okay, 50%, you know what that number needs to be. 30%, you know what number that needs to be. And 20%, you know what that number needs to be. And you should be saving. Another concept she had was, which I thought was awesome. What if families that have two incomes coming into the home, what if that family decided to live off one income, the larger income of the two, and just bank the second? That would mean we have to make sacrifices, of course. That would mean we would have to live in probably a smaller house than we, we are told we can afford. That may mean we, we drive a different car than what we're told we could afford. But it's a conscious choice that we can make. And you do it often enough, it becomes a habit, right? It becomes a habit. So I'm going to stop here for now, but I really want to, in our next podcast, dig into ways that we can save. We've spent all this time, all this energy getting ourselves out of debt. Now we need to stay out. This has been Living Debt Free with Georgette Miller. If you live in the Mid-Atlantic area, and would like to learn more about how to protect yourself and your assets from creditors, please contact Georgette Miller for a free consultation. Visit GeorgetteMillerLaw.com or call 1-866-96-GM-LAW. That's 1-866-964-6529. Thank you for listening to Living Debt Free.